0: Welcome to Help from Future Self.
1: Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am your Keyforge friend. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. My mom calls me Alex, though, and I'm joined by someone whose mom calls him Blake. It's Coach Boulevard Paperfight. What's happening, pal? Yeah, what's going on, man? Not too much, not too much. Interested to have this conversation with you today because I think that um, oftentimes you and I are very simpatico in our thinking, but sometimes Mm -hmm. when we engage in an exercise like the one we're going to do today, I think it brings out some differences in the way that we view the game, and I think that those are kind of interesting.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: Yeah. Um, The pitch for this is that Blake and I are going to go back and we're going to talk about what some of the absolute best cards in Coda were and whether or not they are still top tier in the current meta with Mass Mutation. So taking into account every set that's in play right now, whether or not these cards that were once the king of the castle, you know, just right up at the top, the best cards that you could possibly get in your deck, whether or not they still have all the oomph they used to, or whether they have been knocked slightly down by changes in the way the game is played, or in fact, very far down in the way they're played. There's even a possibility that some of these great cards have become even greater over time. You ready to get into this? Yeah, let's do it, man. A couple of caveats that I want to start off with. First... I left out a lot of definitively great cards uh, when I was starting to put together this list because they don't change at all based on what's going on in the meta. The example for this is Library Access. Uh, Library Access never changes because it only ever interacts with your own deck. Same with Nepenthe Seed. Um, I suppose you could make the argument that in a game against certain kinds of uh, decks in the meta, being able to manipulate your deck in that way is more advantageous, but I don't know that there's really much discussion you can have about those cards because the answer is always, well, yeah, it's still good because it's still doing the exact same thing it did back when it was a card in your deck in the Coda era. It hasn't changed at all. There's nothing about the way the game is played that honestly changes. that."
0: Mm -hmm. No, Um, you're right.
1: Yeah. Um, The other thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit is the fact that we're not going to be discussing the bait and switch as a nerf card because it's obviously very different than it once was um there's no real discussion that you can have around it because it got nerfed it's still a card that has value but i think that there's not much value in the actual conversation there was a point where we would have to say that yes of course bait and switch was the absolute best card in the entire game entire games were won and lost off the play of that one card it hasn't been the case for long enough now that there's no point in having that conversation yeah agreed all right, let's get things started. Going to throw it out with one right off the top. This is one of my OG favorites, Virtuous Works. It's a Sanctum action, three amber pips. That's it. That's all it does. Gives you three amber for playing it. Blake, do you think still as good as it always was? A little less good than it used to be.
0: I think it's less good. And my reasoning for this is uh, basically not just in furnace, but I think that cards... That uh, like what's it called, Mindfire, mm-hmm. where you discard a card from your hand and you get Amber stolen based on that. I think that kind of hurts this card quite a bit.
1: I uh, absolutely agree. The other thing about it too, and I used to say that I thought that this was the best like Keyforge card, and my rationale for that was that there was never a bad time to play it. That's no longer true. There are Mm -hmm. so many bad times to play just three amber. And it's when you know your opponent's holding that effervescent principle. When you know for a fact that, uh, you know, they have infurnaces in their deck, like you mentioned, or mind fires in their deck. There are so many ways in which this could get turned against you, which doesn't mean it's a bad card. It's still a good card, but it used to have no drawback. Now it has actually a pretty severe drawback.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: Very much so. That was an easy one to start with. Let's move on to something that I think most people think of when they think of an all-time great CODA card. Let's talk a little bit about Control the Week. It's a disc classic action. One pip of amber. When you play it, choose a house on your opponent's identity card. Your opponent must choose that house. as their active house on the next turn? Blake, is Control the Week as good as it always was?
0: Yeah, that card never gets old. It's It's never going to stop being great. There's no drawback of playing it. They've been constantly trying to change what that card did with almost every set. They've had a new version in some sort of way, trying to make you get this effect, but not be so just like, here's a card play it, and it's working. And I think as a result, that just tells you how great this card was. And I don't think there's very many people who will argue otherwise. I mean, some people will probably put this as the best card in the game, period.
1: Mm-hmm. I would agree with that statement. I will make the argument, however, that recently in some games that I pulled out with my old Control of the Week heavy decks, um, I was starting when I was playing them against Mass Mutation, people seemed to be getting off better control of the week turns, which means that I would play Control of the Week on them. And due to the huge amount of archiving, it oftentimes meant that in mass mutation games, people had more options where oftentimes with a good control of the week back in the code era, you could cripple your opponent for a turn. They could play like one card or sometimes no cards. I feel like people have more options to have cards waiting in the wings in the newer set. So that has a little bit dampened control of the week's power, but ultimately like if you know how to play control of the week, it's still as good as it ever was. There's just yeah, maybe, maybe you don't
0: options. know how to play control of the week, Alex, let's be real here. <laughs>
1: I know, you do the count. You, you look at your opponent's discard, you see how many cards uh, from a certain house are in there, you figure out how many cards they have left based on what's in their hand, and then, you know, you make an educated guess based on that.
0: What about the intangible feeling in your gut? You forgot about that point.
1: <laughs> That's the way that I used to play it. I used to get beat all the time with it. Now I try to be smart. Uh, it's, a, it's a work in progress. All right, let's stick with house dis um, this one I am very curious your thoughts on can we talk a little bit about restring guntis uh, a one power creature in house disc play choose a house your opponent cannot choose that house as their active house until restring guntis leaves play Blake as good as it ever was
0: no it is significantly worse mm-hmm. and I can talk about this from personal experience. It now has a, almost like a control the weak sort of effect except you're not forcing them into a house. you're just letting them have option a or B only instead of a, B and C. That's all it is. this this goes to a lot of things that existed before with one power. The increase of damage pips on cards because of enhancements now makes most one power creatures very weak because you have the ability to just, get a damage pip draw more easily it's like your outs exist a lot more so you're not going to get maybe hamstrung and get the lock as easily as you could it can still happen but i don't think it happens as easily as it once did
1: yeah, I, I you you know, you stole the words right out of my mouth. Those damage pips, which we at I think at the time that enhancements were first announced as a part of Keyforge as a game, we looked at them and we went, Well, capture's obviously good, amber's obviously good, card draw is obviously good. The only one of these that's kind of dubious is the damage one. How much effect can that have on the game? And what I found in practice is popping wards and killing evil one power creatures like Restring Guntus. And uh, you brought up Dusk Witch in our conversation before the start of the podcast. You know, it has a tremendous amount of value. Um, you're not always going to get a ton of value out of a damage pip. If you're facing off against a bunch of people who have a lot of armor, maybe it does absolutely nothing, but it's just pure spot removal for these weak creatures unless somebody can protect them with armor or something else. They're definitely like a solution to a problem. And Restring mm. Guntis is one of those problems. Yeah, agreed. All right. We're going to be hitting a lot of Shadows cards in this uh, conversation, and the reason for that is because Shadows was the king of the castle when it came to Kota Keyforge. Um, we already brought up Bait and Switch, but there are so many other cards in House Shadows that were just awful to play against. Um, we had to narrow it down because I didn't want to sit here going like, all right, Nerve Blast. All right. You know, one after the other. Um, But we are going to have to talk about quite a few of them. Let's let's get going with an all time classic here. Um, One that has been sort of much in the same way that we've seen um, people sort of make new versions or the designers make new versions of Control the Week in an attempt to make a more playable version. But that still captures the flavor. Let's talk about Miasma, a Shadows action. Get an Amber Pip for playing it. Play your opponent skips the forge, a key step on their next turn. At one point, I would say that this, although it didn't win as many games as uh, a bait and switch, certainly contributed to a lot of victories by holding off your opponent for one extra turn. Blake, as good as it ever was.
0: I think it is. I don't Mm -hmm. think that not much has changed from that. And I think if you're talking about it in the current meta with especially a lot of mass mutation decks being part of the mix, the lack of scaling ember makes that if you hold them off and they boost up it's not exactly like there's a punishment or even for yourself like it just i don't know this card just just works like it just does what it's supposed to do it's it's not complex it's very simple in concept and design but it is so effective and just it's it buys you a turn that's what it does
1: the fact that it also gives you a pip of amber is one of those classic slap in the face, like Coda actions. Why does Control of the Week give you a pip of amber? Why does Miamba, Miasma give you a pip of amber? They're already so well, good on their face. Miasma makes sense.
0: I, I don't think Control of the Week makes sense for sure because it's always going to have its effect. But there's times when you get Miasma and it's not going to have an effect because they're maybe not going to forge when you have it. So I understand it in that sense. But when it does work, it, it does feel like it's overpowered. But I think for sure Control of the Week, it was an unnecessary addition hmm
1: totally. Uh, the other thing that I would bring up about Miasma is that although this is not true of Worlds Collide and it's not true of AOA, Mass Mutation has a severe lack of key cheats, which was the answer to Miasma, right? Like, mm-hmm. you hit me with Miasma, I come back with a key cheat, I can still win, even if you're holding me off for a turn. Um, mm-hmm. There are so few workable key cheats in, in Mass Mutation. In fact, of the key cheats they've introduced in Mass Mutation, I think I've gotten, like, a key frog to go off maybe once, ever yeah same um you know they're just they're not very workable everything is a key of shadows now one of the most hated og Coda cards um but it was in shadows and everything else in shadows was so good that people didn't even care let's move on a little bit and talk about another shadows classic one that actually i think rose uh to prominence when bait and switch got the nerf let's talk a little bit about too much to protect so shadows action one pip of amber for playing it Play steal all but six of your opponent's amber, as good as it ever was, or maybe I think even it's better, better
0: than it ever has been. Uh huh. Yeah, it's it's the one that's definitely it ranged true to to what it did when it became prominent because of this nerf of Bane switch, and it honestly hasn't swapped at all. Like I think this is the first set we haven't had it too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly like you you miss it, like you really miss too much to protect like that. That is a perennial card for me. I want to see it in every single time because it it would have really, I think, turned this set on its head, having it in a lot in a good way, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you you've brought up numerous times um, the major fatal flaw of mass mutation in that there's no real good way to punish people like just uh, surging up on amber if people go way way up on amber there used to be so many good reasons not to right mm-hmm. um interdimensional graph too much to protect know, uh, numerous other ones um too much to protect is even better both for that reason people in playing mass mutation oftentimes have changed their way of thinking so they aren't as worried about too much to protect anymore um and you can take advantage of that here's the other thing key cost uh, increases are a big thing in mass mutation but the effect of too much to protect is always the same, which is steal all but six of your opponent's Amber steal all but six of your opponent's Amber. It used to mean that your opponent might still forge a key, but with all the key cost increase possible, it can very much make it a thing in a game now where too much to protect, you know, steals all of your opponent's Amber and they're boosting up, you know, let's say key cost to eight or something like that. All of a sudden, you know, you've gotten a lot more and they can't forge on top of it. So better Mm -hmm. than it used to be, I think almost undoubtedly. And Arguably, next to control the week in terms of possible all time greatest card.
0: Mm, I don't think so. Really? Yeah, because you because before like you're like you said the key cost increase thing, but there's a lot of things that don't have that take effect. So a lot of the time you're just not letting someone burst up. And I know people play around too much to protect. Like when you have like a couple in your deck, people will just go, "I'm just going go to go into check at six. They're not going to give you any extra bonus for for you having that card and Really smart players know how to play around this card extremely efficiently. And where Control of the Week, like I said, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It's going to happen. Too mm-hmm. much Protect, there's ways you can mitigate the effectiveness of the card. And that's why I don't think... I think it will be in the top five, maybe. Top 10, 100% all time. But probably top five even. And that's just because it can be played around. You you can avoid the trap of Too Much Protect by being a smart player and being conscious that, that it exists. And so therefore, you can just really actually, you can actually really hurt your opponent if you play it well, because by going to six all the time, they're going to have to hold this in their hand and either decide, you know what, I'm just going to take the ember, or they just keep holding it waiting for that inevitable moment when you go up. And if you just choose not to go into that trap, you're just hurting them
1: yeah that's actually very sage blake um I, I think we've all had that moment where we're sitting there with too much to protect in our hand and we've had to make that rough decision of look i just gotta mm-hmm. play this because it's chaining me and my opponent's not anywhere close to like a place where this might actually give me value and then you get that fear of like but what if i throw away my two punch to protect and they surge up next turn and mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to eat that like you yeah, have to true. make the best decision that you can make with the information that you have available to you um 100%. this is one of those Definitely one of those cases where being able to read whether or not your opponent's deck is bursty is helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another Shadows card, one that you are very, very familiar with. Me less so, because I haven't played many decks that have it. Let's talk about Routine Job. Shadows action. Routine Job says, play, steal one amber, then steal one amber for each copy of Routine Job in your discard pile. So in a deck with two Routine Jobs, you're going to steal three total over the course of the game. That's a six amber swing. That's enough for a key. If uh, you have three, it starts to go up. And then in some cases, we've seen decks that have four. You have one with four, do you not?
0: No, I have one with three.
1: Oh, okay. Um, But we've seen decks that have four. I played against Jupiter, who was playing a deck that had four of them in it. Um, Is this as good as it ever was? Is it better? Is it still great on par? What are your thoughts?
0: It's not as good as it was. Uh, there's definitely the rise of Infernus. Like I feel Infernuses seem to be a lot more common and I believe there's tournament stats to back this up. And at one point, I think routine job decks were some of the highest price decks that existed especially if you had the quad routine job decks mm-hmm. people were were sought after for them when you have the ability to purge two cards and you can see that routine job is a cornerstone of a deck you're actually going to significantly nerf the ability for that deck and there's just other ways you can get rid of it like i feel like there's more ways to get cards out of people's hands now than before and so i feel that it has lost some potency and i can speak to this from my own experience. Like I've just, as soon as like, even since worlds collide, but I feel like now even mass mutation is a little bit more aggressive. I just found that my routine job deck, like it would just start happening where I would try and get on a roll and I had to be more strategic about how I would use it. Like I really had to almost plan to like, you know what, I'm just going to burn them all at once and not incrementally play them because I may not get that opportunity. So it required a more finicky way of playing it to maximize the effect of the, I guess, net Ember you could gain totally. And I mean, there's nothing, nothing wrong with your opponent being on check and you literally taking all their Ember. Like it's a fun thing to do. And it's very devastating. And I think there's very few cards that can straight up steal an entire key mm-hmm. from your opponent and put them to zero, which is the power of routine job. But The recursion ability, which was what my deck did really well, is it could cycle really fast. I was getting to play the routine jobs like two or three times, uh, all three of them. Uh, That just went away. And I had to figure out ways to protect it. And it completely changed the way I played that deck and viewed it in certain matchups, which was never the case when it was just Coda and AoA. I just let it run and do its thing, and I laughed all the way to the bank. (laughs) Yeah, It was great.
1: Everything that you're saying r- rings true to my ears. I think it's that that you know, the thing that you said that is most interesting to me as a person who's not super experienced with it is that mindset change. So mm-hmm. what used to be a thing, and this is like con- almost a metaphor for all of Coda-era Keyforge, is what used to be things that you could just play and not think hard about Now you have to think much harder about, you have to strategize to, as you said, protect cards, you had to hold them or otherwise figure out ways because you wanted to keep them away from your discard until such a time as you can, you know, get them out on the table. It's all of a sudden a thing where you just, you didn't used to have to worry about it. Now you do, that changes the way you play the deck, and oftentimes that actually cripples uh, the way that you play the deck because you'd already gotten so accustomed to sort of a classic way of playing with it that is suddenly no longer valid, which is something that I'll be talking Mm -hmm. about a little bit later. Let's go with kind of an off-the-radar great card from Coda. This is one of my favorites. I put it as one of the best cards of the entire set. I'm glad you suggested that we talk about it. Champion's Challenge, my all-time favorite board clear in Key Forge. It's a Brobnar card. You play it, destroy each enemy creature except the most powerful enemy creature, destroy each friendly creature except the most powerful friendly creature, ready and fight with your remaining creature. So this was a great combo enabler. Um, Like you could play uh, whatever that Brobnar action was that uh, loot the bodies and then champion's challenge for a huge burst of amber. It was an effective board clear that still left you with a piece on the board. Um, You could play it and, uh, you know, even if you didn't have a creature on the board and just leave your opponent's most powerful creature standing there with nothing around it. Um, Do you feel that this is still as good
0: Oh yeah. 100%. I think it's it's maybe I don't I want to say it's better uh because you know what we got Savage Clash which which feels like an untamed version of this card when you really think about it except when you play it you're the one at the disadvantage and there's no fighting at the end. So that's kind of interesting that they decided to take a concept that was in uh, Brobnar and put it in untamed, but I mean you you can't really beat it. Anytime there's a board clear like that, it's really good with with very little downside. In fact, you could argue there's with the fact that it's in Brobnar, there's there's actually zero downside to playing this card. It just is gonna wipe the board. And with I mean, now with all the exalting and captured amber, like I you gotta say that it's gonna be putting in more work because there's that more chance of getting a treasure trove afterwards. Mm -hmm,
1: Absolutely. I think that uh, that uh, it remains a great card. I think it's as good as it ever was. Um, The additional advantage you mentioned is kind of, like balanced out by the fact that wards are a thing now that mm-hmm. affects all board clears but we have noticed the fact that in mass mutation they pulled back on wards there was so much warding in uh, worlds collide and it was a very problematic thing to play against because there was that that pervasive despair around heavy ward decks where it was like it doesn't matter what i do if i drop board clear after board clear i just that there's nothing i can do to stop you know warding especially those heavy ward Saurian index they've pulled away from that in mass mutation i think because it was an unbalanced gameplay 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 element i would not be surprised to see that it kind of disappears in the next set or at the very least is very rare in the next set compared to the way it has been in the last two um so warding? champions cha- yes warding as a general mechanic
0: i don't think so to be honest really i think we're gonna i think the um, i think we're seeing a classic response that we we have in the past so if you look at coda it, it you could almost say that coda had a very strong amount of ember control and if in a way like you like most houses had ember control all the time and your deck would always like for the most part every house would have it like it felt like very strong so then in AOA they really pulled it back to like oh there's too much control we want the games to end so they pulled it way back on AOA and then they overcompensated with that so AOA had a lack of Ember control which made it not kind of function as well so we saw warding exist in Worlds Collide and they went way maybe too forward with it like I honestly think it'll be really sad we'll probably not see Medic Ingram again because I think Medic Ingram was the epitome of like this is a little bit too OP of a ward card but like Medic Ingram for me is a classic card that I always love i never hated seeing it i just had to prioritize dealing with it and i think as a result you just saw this ward kind of spiral out almost like you said it's so hard to deal with and then they pulled it back really aggressively in mass mutations i actually think in the next set we're going to see this balance come into play that's going to be very interesting
1: Uh, You make a very convincing case, Blake. The other thing that I'll say is that uh, I I cannot wait for us to do WC, this exercise, with the best cards of Worlds Collide, and ask, you know, are they still as good as they ever were? Because the cards like Meta Kingram, I think, are definitely interesting cases for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's move on a little bit here to some classics in Untamed. Let's talk a little bit about mimicry. One of the all-time great cards, in my estimation, um, one of the greatest utility cards, if not the greatest utility card. Mimicry is an untamed action. Says when you play this card, treat it as a copy of an action card in your opponent's discard pile. As good as it ever was, not as good oh. as it ever was, or even better.
0: I don't know if it's even better, but it's it's as good as it ever was. Like I like I said, I remember I told Joe I, I think I mentioned I was playing against my my friend last night. And uh, we, I chose my first AOA deck, which I didn't think was very good. Turns out it has a lot of really cool things. It just lacked Ember Control. But it had Mimicry in it. And the use I got out of that card was just phenomenal. And getting to utilize some things from Mass Mutations with an AOA deck was a really cool experience. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And I immensely pissed off my friend with the choices <laughs> that I made. Like, it really bothered him when I was copying his cards that he played. And it was just fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean... I'll say this, I think Mimicry might even be a little bit better just because the density of good action cards in Mass Mutation.
0: Um, mm-hmm. There's lots
1: of good action cards, and oftentimes those action cards have extra pips on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mimicry being able to not only copy the action, but if your opponent has like a hot action card that has two extra pips on it besides, man, like that is such a, a piss off to do to somebody. So yeah, Mimicry yeah. even better than it ever was, I think, almost almost undoubtedly. All right. I think this one might be the last on our list. Um, let's talk a little bit about Key Charge. So if you're not familiar with Key Charge, you can't have been playing Keyforge for that long because, man, this was absolutely a card that won games for people and that you had to look out for when you were looking at people's Archon cards. It is an action in House Untamed. It was at Common, which is one of the reasons why it was so effective because so many decks had them. You always had to be worried about it. Play lose one amber if you do you may forge a key at current cost as good as it ever was
0: the card will never change it just is it's the classic key cheat the easiest one now that i've i've had some time with it and seen it and now that we don't have it i almost feel that key charge was in the wrong house
1: interesting
0: so i think key charge would have been a better logos card
1: also because interesting
0: the reason why i feel this way is is if you look at the ease of which Untamed burst the reason why Untamed's burst was so great was because chota and Keycharge exist and they're essentially the same card so if you threw this into logos which had less of the burst ability except for when brig existed but aside from that if you take that out of the equation it actually kind of makes sense because you're going to have less chance of really going crazy with the burst, but you're still going to have those opportunities to use it. Because when you saw someone with two Hunting Witches and a bunch of creatures, like a couple of Dust Pixies and a Nature's Call, it really made this Chota and Key Charge just com- incredibly overpowered in some regards. And I think that's why we never saw Hunting Witch again is because those cards didn't, it, it created this imbalance in terms of the ease in which you could get a Key. And ever since then, it's just been kind of, tapered back as a result but the card is phenomenal in concept and i honestly wish we had more things like that like we've we've talked about it on the show tonight about how you know the lack of key cheats in mass mutations is kind of baffling based on what we've had in the past
1: mm-hmm, totally i think that key charge although still a phenomenally good card is less good than it used to be simply due to the amount of ways that people can raise key costs now
0: um, You're right, actually yeah I forgot that it hundred percent right
1: because uh the the key to this uh, so to speak, no pun intended is of course you may forge a key at current cost that really does impact people's ability to be able to like charge up and hit a key charge for a win um for mm-hmm. that third key. Um, especially too with all the different ways that people can like capture amber and stuff like that as well. Um, because there are so many ways for people to mess with key cost and mess with your amber supply, I think it's harder to get a key charge off against a good mass mutation deck than it was back in the Coda era when amber control was very, very powerful when you had it. But uh, the key cost was relatively static with a few major exceptions like Lash of Broken Dreams.
0: Yeah, you know, that's that's an extremely good point that I overlooked. That's that's You're actually right on the money. They, they did a good job of making a key cost more of an ember control thing, which I'm honestly not mad at. The only problem is, again, it's, it doesn't deal with the scaling ember thing. You're literally just taxing someone and they're still forging. There's no way to stop it. Uh, as we've, we've definitely talked about this ad nauseum at this point, but I, I, I have to agree that key charger right i remember actually playing some games i forgot about it and i just got to moments where it, you had to kind of delay your turn that you were going to play we're just going to go boom and and win the game it's like instead of winning on turn like seven you're now waiting to turn eight or nine because you had to do some extra shenanigans to get yourself to that point where it really made sense
1: if you follow us on social media you have some cards that we think were omitted or that are worthy of discussion please Holler at us on Twitter, send us an email. If there's any of them that I think are super compelling and interesting, we'll bring them up for discussion on a future episode of help from future self. Speaking of help from future self can't finish an episode without the titular segment help Help from future from future self got one for you this week. And I think it actually plays very well with the theme of this week's discussion, Blake, this shouldn't be a lesson that I need to learn as somebody who's been playing for as long as I have, But it's one that I had to be reminded of the hard way this week when I pulled out some old Coda decks so that I could test out some of these cards that we were discussing today. The game changes and decks become less good with time or they might become more good with time. But honestly, I feel like a lot of the time it's that things that used to be very dominant and great lose a lot of their potency. I played a rush deck a bunch of games this week that used to be one of my absolute best decks that I used to be able to play and get a guaranteed win at least 50% of the time, even against hot other decks because it was so darn fast against good mass mutation decks. Like, And we're talking good mass mutation decks. It simply could not go. It was that tax on the increase of key cost and capture and the inability to deal with all of the very tricksy things that happen in Mass Mutation that actually made it no longer a good deck in this meta, or at least not as reliable a deck in this meta. I played one or two games that it actually did what it always did, and then several more where it just got smoked in a way that never would have in the past. So I guess the lesson is, if you have decks in your stable that you're keeping around because you remember them being really good, dust them off some time and test them against current hot decks in the meta, make sure that you're not holding on to something based on the fact that it was once good and that those days are now over.
0: Oh, preaching to the choir over here. And there's a the reverse of that too. Some decks that you maybe overlooked now may have some new life. So dive into that collection. We got nothing but time now when it comes to playing Keyforge. Get your group of friends that you can play casually with and you don't need to just jam with random people who are always bringing the hot sauce and find those decks like, hey, play something you haven't played in a while that you maybe overlooked. Let's try some decks. Do that. You will be absolutely astonished What you find, especially if you can agree that one of you will play a new mass mutation deck that you're kind of not sure about and someone else plays an AOA deck or something along that nature, Coda, whatever you want to do, even Worlds Collide, revisit some decks that you are like, you know, I kind of like some cards in here. Find that fun factor visit that concept we live in a time now where we're not playing competitively the same way most of the time there are tournaments that exist but we're not getting out to those weekly chain bounds like we used to so really find a core group that you can spend time with building and dissecting your collection and see what exists in there that you overlooked and may have a really fun aspect that's not like crazy op but you really enjoy the matchups like it's so good to explore that right now
1: Mm-hmm. indeed all right we got to get out of here you can find us on social media at hffs podcast like i said if you have some cards that are worthy of the same discussion that we had today from the coda era please hit us up uh we will be visiting this topic in future with some of the other sets so if you have suggestions for those come on let us know uh you can find me on twitter and instagram and the crucible at scussy gruen blake where can they find you what do you got going on
0: uh, you can find me as always uh, streaming on Tuesday nights at Boulevard Blake. That's B L V D Blake on Twitch, and then you can also hit me up on Twitter. That's the best spot again. That's B L V D. Uh, paper fight sorry can confuse there and mm-hmm. same for my uh my youtube is blvd paper fight shout out to my guy sean redman who spent 30 minutes trying to find me on twitter because he kept typing in boulevard in the long version not the abbreviated version i literally must have one time not done it because i feel like every time i say it i say the abbreviation so uh shout out for him for being committed to finding me i appreciate you man
1: all right we got to get out of here thanks very much for listening until next time stay tuned